Magazines and Monsters, Episode 20, Simon and Kirby, Black Magic. Man, you come right out of a comic book. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another episode of Magazines and Monsters. As we creep closer to Halloween, the horror is in the spotlight once again. First things first, though, I'm welcoming another guest back in for some more fun here. And I'm talking with my buddy Mike from Comics in the Golden Age. How are you, Mike? Hey, Billy. I'm doing good. How about you? Oh, I am fantastic. So uh, we just had a little bit of a horror discussion off, Mike. You were uh, lucky enough to go see a couple of movies recently uh, in the theater, actually. So uh, why don't you tell me about that again? <laughs> yes. Fathom Events, which, you know, in selected theaters likes to play classic films a couple times a year. They just played the original Dracula and Frankenstein films from 1331 with, you know, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. And I, of course, never seen those on the big screen, never thought I would, which was so it was wonderful. And the bonus, the really great part was I got to take my oldest daughter with me, mm. which was really nice, especially because she on her own, before we even knew about the movie, she'd recently decided to read the Frankenstein novel. So it was oh, cool. after she started it that I saw the ad for these. So I was like, oh, this is perfect timing. And so she was excited, too. And, and we went and it was it was wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. And then, yeah, you said about the two at the end of the month, uh, October here coming up. So I'm going to have to seek those out because I really want to see that. You said uh, Wolfman and Invisible Man, correct? Yes. On October 29th. If anyone listening, if you if you've never done it, if you go to fathomevents.com and they have a list for for all the movies that they show i don't think they're into 2022 yet but they have ones for the rest of 2021 and if you look up this one it has links where you can kind of buy tickets in your area see if any theaters around you are showing it uh you know obviously if you live near a big city you're more likely to to have some but they do it all around the country so you know it's definitely worth a look yeah that is super cool i mean doing events like that i'm sure especially like you said in the more metropolitan areas i'm sure it does pretty good i mean how much is it for a ticket? Well, this, it varies depending on, you know, when and where, because this showtime was a little unusual because it was a double feature. They mm -hmm. did it at one in the afternoon. Mm. And we, we paid 18 bucks each, which may sound like a lot at first, but then you realize you're paying for two movies. So yeah. I didn't think it was that bad. You know what? Normal, their normal times are generally the movies are like 3, 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And they usually only play them two or three days. In a, in a selected month mm -hmm. usually it's a sunday monday or wednesday if i remember right it's usually one of those days you can pick and um the probably like i said the prices kind of vary depending on when and what day you're going but i've seen in the last like five years through them i've seen um blazing saddles on the big screen <laughs> all right Blanca. we were talking i got to see 78 superman movie oh. uh the animated transformers film which was fun wow. to see yeah, so they have a whole. Um, a few years ago, we've seen oh, all over the place, and um, yeah, I definitely if you get if go on their website, and usually about um, like December or so, they'll announce their ones for the for the following year, mm -hmm. and but as the year goes on, they'll add certain things based yeah. on anniversaries coming up. Like they just announced Rocky Four is going to be playing 
I think next month, but don't hold me to that, but before the end of the year. And that hadn't been listed at all this year. But then it came out that Stallone's like re-editing Rocky Four with new scenes. So they added that in before the end of the year. So it, it changes a lot and things. Nothing really ever gets removed, but they do add a lot as the year goes on. So, so yeah, people should definitely check it out if you're into movies. Oh, yeah, I definitely will. Because that's, you know, if it's anywhere near me, I would love to see those. And then especially, you know, I loved for a long time, The Wolfman was my favorite uh universal film but i gotta be honest i think it is the invisible man now just because i love how insane that movie is and how crazy he goes you know and then all that scene where he's sitting there talking to his friend and he says about you know we're gonna what does he say something we're gonna commit some we're gonna commit a reign of terror and he says about (laughs) a few murders and choking a signalman to make a train wreck happen and the guy's eyes are like oh my god but yeah, oh, I love that scene. I love that film. Claude Rains is great. Oh yeah, every October, love going through all those old movies. I mean, even tonight, I I made the mistake because I was exhausted after work. I took a nap earlier, so I'm probably gonna be up later tonight. So uh-huh. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock out Bride of Frankenstein this evening oh, before I go to bed, which you know is one of the best they did. They, oh you know, yeah, did. Yeah, my mm-hmm. daughter can't. She's got to go to bed, but I'll I'll be happy to watch it with her again if she wants to check it out. Yeah, I mean. Frankenstein. I told her that one was definitely one of the top ones. Yeah, a lot of people point to that one as the best of the bunch, and you know it's hard to argue because it is really good. But uh, okay, so the last time you were on, we talked EC uh, because you know you love you some Golden Age comics, and I love EC, so it just was a perfect fit. And I wanted to have you on again, and then I thought, oh, Halloween's coming up, and we can talk about EC again. And then I thought, you know. It's like it was almost like too easy just to talk about EC again. So I thought, what other horror do I have from that era? And I don't really have much. But, you know, one thing I do have that I absolutely treasure is uh, a hardcover that is uh, Simon and Kirby Horror. And it has their uh, collaborations from, you know, the early 1950s, uh, especially a title called Black Magic. So uh, it's something I really thought, oh, yeah, that's what we need to talk about. So, uh What do you think about that era and those stories from uh, Simon and Kirby? Well, you know, Simon and Kirby is one of the all-time great teams in comics. I mean, they didn't just create characters, but they created whole genres together. And, you know, in the 40s and 50s, they were constant. I mean, not just them. A lot of I mean, it was the nature of the business. But they were bouncing around to different genres as things became popular and stuff. And here, including horror. And just like in everything else, they produced a lot of great stuff. I mean, it's not... I'll be honest, it's not on the quality of EC. It's not their level. It's not the level of EC, which had it, you know, was much more shocking and, you know, at times gory and always had, you know, the great twist endings. It's not, you know, I wouldn't recommend anyone going and expecting that, but I do think it's a lot of fun. And especially, and I'll talk about this later on these stories, but Kirby's art is always a treat. treat. I'm a big fan of Kirby. Mm. So I enjoy seeing him do more grotesque characters. You know, like a lot of the covers to Black Magic are just fantastic. Some of them are so, you know, mutated creatures, you know, underwater monsters, just all sorts of great stuff. I love it. Yeah, he he, Kirby's imagination, people like, you know, we talked off mic beforehand here. It's it gravitates to, you know, the Fantastic Fours of the world and, you know, rightly so. And a lot of the cosmic stuff and then the 70s, you know, uh, early on, especially when he was at D.C. in the fourth world. That's more of what, you know, the majority of people probably have in their brain when they think Kirby. But his imagination, even this far back, was just 
so wild and so imaginative. It's just, oh, I, I can't even can't even imagine what went on inside his brain on a daily basis when you look at these comics and these stories. And, you know, he either wrote, penciled, inked, you know, between him and Simon, you know, all these stories in these books that, you know, at least a couple we're going to talk about here for sure. You know, it's just it's it's all there, you know, especially Kirby, but him and Simon, it's just it's all there you know, uh, skills and brains on display here. Yeah. My understanding, you know, people always argue over the, with Stanley and Jack Kirby who contributed what, and, you know, I, I, I admire them both. I'm not, that's not a battle I fight, but you know, you do get the sense that when it came to a lot of the plotting and stuff, a lot of time it was Kirby mm-hmm. and I'm sure all of that was here, but I always, from what I've heard, I feel like Simon and Kirby had a more, you know, working closely together relationship that they actually were sitting together much more often, actually creating these things together in the same room and working things out. And, and, you know, Simon wasn't just, you know, a writer, he was an artist himself and a, and a good artist. And, you know, while I think he was definitely could, you know, credited with being more the business minded guy, he was definitely the money man, you know, made their, their good deals and knew how to cut a deal for them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely, you know, an artist in creating them himself and very talented. And I, I, I think they really just meshed tremendously well together. Yeah, because I think in this hardcover, I think there are certain instances where, you know, the pencils and inks, it's all Kirby or it's pencils by Kirby, maybe inks by Simon or something like that. And they did have some other people in the, like you said, they bounced around from different genres and sometimes other people working like alongside them in like a studio and whatnot. But it, it's just... The majority, you know, uh, the the lion's share of all the credit for what's in this this book I have is is Simon and Kirby, and like you said, a lot of it too I think is, you know, Kirby's imagination on this this paper. You can see his DNA in it. Yeah. One thing I created prize I just want to credit is a lot of the lettering in this era is by Ben Oda. Yes. Yes. I, yep. Yeah. I mainly want to mention that for anyone who isn't aware much about Ben Oda. He, you know, people know about Kirby's combat service in World War II, but Ben Oda was a Japanese American who served as a mm-hmm. paratrooper in World War yep. II. So he was another pretty hardcore combat man himself. And I, and I mainly mention that not just to credit his work, which is great, but you know, this sort of, you know, the story is going to touch on World War II or one of the stories we talk about in a bit. So mm-hmm. you know, in combat in World War II, so it wasn't just one of the creators involved, but two of them, and, and Joe was a veteran himself too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, two of them were combat vets who worked on the issue. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, let's get into it then. So the first story we're going to talk about is The Thing in the Fog, and it's from Black Magic number 7 from 1951. And like we said, Simon and Kirby and Ben Oda on letters. So, you know, all three uh, men were in the service. And then, uh, yeah, this is an interesting story here. Uh, it's about, you know, we see a seaman is in a hospital after his ship was destroyed by a German U-boat. And the guy's name is John Karski, and uh, after you know the, the ship gets blown up, he floats on debris until he runs into two of his shipmates, and then all three are picked up by a mysterious ship that looks to be hundreds of years old, and uh, the crew looks just as old. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is a good one. So, like you said, you know, you had three uh, people that were in the service, uh, and then two combat guys, you know, the German U-boat and everything. So. You know, you see a lot of that creeping into some of the stories, even post-World War II with a lot of the vets. Yeah, I this, I enjoyed this one a lot. What do you think? Oh, this one's great. You know, you start with the first page, you know, it's the thing in the fog and it's this 
you know, you see these three men, you know, adrift in the sea on these two like uh, drums and in the, the background, like in this fog, you see this shadow and you can barely make out the outline of a ship. And then, you know, some kind of, uh, I can't remember what the name for that is where they have, uh, those ships when on the front of it, there's like almost like a gargoyle type creature or something on the front of it. And I'm sure there's a specific name for that, but I'm not sure what that is, but, oh, you can see that right there prominently. And it looks really, really creepy. Oh yeah. I, I love the splash page on this, the fog that we're mm. coming through with the three men before we get into the actual story, but just that, that big splash page shot of the three of them floating with yeah. the fog covering this. And you can kind of make out some stuff through the fog, but it's not quite clear what it was. And the coloring in this issue, there's a lot of weird color choices, which is not uncommon in curbing his work on this title. Mm -hmm. The, the water is pretty much almost always green. The fog a lot of times is pink. You know, it's, it's, kind of unusual choices but they work really well and they add a certain kind of mysteriousness to the to the mood in this story mm -hmm. and then even when you know it shows the man in the hospital bed there you know it's got some more bright colors but it's not off-putting for a horror story it really meshes well together you know you got purple and yellow and it's just it, it, everything meshes well here but yeah this when the serviceman starts to tell the doctor and the nurse, you know, the story of uh, what happened when the ship was blown up. Oh, man, this is it, it's good. Like, I found myself kind of like, you know, really drawn into this story. Yeah, it has that great kind of horror suspense trope where you just you, you know, something's off, but you're just trying to figure out exactly what it is. And there's just a sort of ominous feel. And you're like, kind of get the sense there's, there's not a big chance a lot. of. I mean, you know, the ones in the hospital telling the story, but you're like wondering how he's going to get out of this alive. Did the other guys make it or not? You know, there's a kind of ominous feeling throughout the whole issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then, man, it's <laughs> when it shows these guys, you know, the three of them floating on these drums, there's a couple of parts too, where it's, you know, again, it's like really shrouded in fog and it shows the three of them, just their outlines and then talking to each other. And then they see a ship in the, uh, you know, in the background too, you know, like almost like a pirate ship, you know, and we'll get into that in a minute or two here what they were going for and oh yeah and they're yelling to get on the ship and then they get up to the ship and a, there's a uh a ladder on the side so they thought oh they're letting us in so they crawl up it <laughs> yeah i love how kirby drew all the ships the the sinking ship at the beginning after the battle that was mm -hmm. a great shot and then the ghost ship which he does draw with a very ghost-like kind of effect which is kind of the greenish hue from the outside and mm -hmm. you know, it's really good the way he does it yeah, and then they get on board, and everybody just kind of walks by them like they don't even exist. And I love the way he draws the crew. So the captain looks like just a, uh, you know, a bit uh, weather beaten, but you know, pretty much just you know your standard human. But uh, the crew, they all have this like green hue to them that makes them look almost like ghostly. So what did you think of that? <laughs> well, yeah, it was good. They have a kind of a ghost zombie kind of vibe going on with them, which. Mm -hmm. You was you were kind of starting like at that point. I actually started to wonder if the if the ship guys we were following were dead already because mm -hmm. you know they they had a bad feeling on the ship. The fact that they weren't more freaked out by these kind of zombie ghost guys walking around mm -hmm. kind of made me wonder if they might no longer be with us. It turned out to be <laughs> wrong, but it just I kind of had that feeling because they seem plus they seem to have food on the ship to feed them, which seemed a little odd if you're on a ghost ship that you would have actual food. But you know, no biggie yeah there there's a swerve at the end here i didn't see this coming when i first read this story i was like wait what because you know like you said i'm thinking like zombies and 
maybe they're gonna kill these guys or you know you know pull like a a Romero and like eat them or something but <laughs> you know the, the captain tells them right out like oh hey that ladder that was thrown over the side wasn't meant for you I'm expecting a visitor <laughs> and he and what does it say he comes aboard at this latitude once a year for a game of cards and then I'm really thinking to myself what the heck does that mean and like you said then they oh here have some food and then how about that panel in the hardcover it's page 66 um where they're having the food and then it's a six panel page which you know it's you know like a regular comic book page you would see it's nothing too you know exciting about that but the second panel on the left you know down from the top where <laughs> you see the guy has a cup in his hand like he's drinking and one of these zombie like looking guys is right next to him <laughs> and uh there's this bong 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 and you hear it and everybody starts scrambling and I'm thinking what's going on here. But man, that panel, I love that panel. Oh yeah. I like how fast that zombie moves too. He really, hides <laughs> he looks like he's running full speed up those stairs. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, the two guys that are eating are like, yep, whatever. We're hungry. We're thirsty. <laughs> but you know, this John Karski guy's like, what is going on up there? I gotta know. I gotta see what's going on. And he goes up to the, you know, the top of the ship there to see what's going on you know the main deck and he sees all these zombie guys running around and then he you know he can see a light coming from a room and he peeks in and oh man how about another panel there of just this eyeball looking through like a an opening in the wall and he looks in and he sees the captain playing cards with somebody but he can't see who that somebody is yet yeah although you do kind of if you've seen enough of this stuff you do kind of suspect who's playing cards because really what mysterious figure shows up to play games with people and, you know, mm-hmm. make bets with them and such. And it <laughs> turns out that your suspicion would be correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy is like a green hue as well when you can see his hand and his, you know, arm and stuff like that in his head. And, you know, the captain's like, aha, you know, I won this hand. And he's like, I just got to win one more hand. And, <laughs> you know, everything's going to be cool, but that doesn't turn out to be uh, <laughs> what happens. <laughs> no. Well, when they finally reveal his face, uh, and you see who it is that he's playing cards with, which of course turns out the implications it's the devil. Mm-hmm. It's a class. I love the Kirby design because it it's very much the vibe I get from reading seventies Bronze Age Kirby, and mm-hmm. that face would totally fit into the, an issue of the Demon. Oh yeah, perfectly. Same design. It's very bright. Well, bright but very strong red to it, with a mm-hmm. traditional like devil kind of, you know, pointed ears kind of eyebrows spock eyebrows kind of a little bit of a fu manchu type kind of beard mustache going on but it it totally looks like it's right out of an issue of the demon yeah that definitely does look very uh 70s kirby right there absolutely and you know like we said too it's like his style in this day and age was way different than a lot of stuff that came down the road and of course you know a lot of that stuff depends on who's inking and you know what kind of job you're doing if it's a superhero book or whatever but yeah you're spot on right there that does definitely look like something from 1970s you know early 70s dc kirby and that panel right under the demon where you see um there our main character trying to flee the ship and there's kind of a shot of the water one <laughs> thing i liked about this is whenever you see a shot of the water it's got almost kind of a proto Kirby crackle look to it. It's not mm. quite the same, but it's just the way he's got, you know, there's a lot of kind of dots in there to kind of indicate the waves, kind of dots mm-hmm. connected together. Every time I saw the ocean, I kind of got a Kirby crackle vibe to it in this issue, which I always, I love me some Kirby crackle. 
Yeah, once this guy sees it's, you know, the devil, he, he just beelines it and jumps right off the side of the ship. He doesn't even give a crap about his two, uh, you know, buddies <laughs> that, are, that are down. You know, to his deck. credit, though, how many horror stories and movies have you seen where your reaction is basically, okay, just get the hell out of there. Just go. Yeah. And it's so frustrating <laughs> they don't. So I kind of appreciate this guy for once being the one smart person who's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jumps oh. off the ship without any you know, second <laughs> thought. I feel bad for his friends, but you know, I would be right there with him. I mean, hey, self-preservation, man. That's <laughs> that's that's numero uno. Let's be honest. You know, it's like, but oh, you know, that's great though. Yeah, but he he dives right off the ship and then he's you know finishing up the story and to the doctor and the nurse, and they kind of uh give him a sedative and then uh he passes out and the, the nurse is like imagine claiming to have seen the devil and the doctor's like well you know this dude was you know out at sea for a while and floating around and he was probably you know hallucinating and all that jazz and then uh she says uh about him seeing that phantom ship and uh, the doctor says why men have reported seeing that ghost ship for the last 500 years miss fletcher everyone knows the legend Surely you must have recognized the captain in Karski's story, Vander Decker of the Flying Dutchman. <laughs> this doc knows his ghost stories, huh? you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I didn't realize how long that stuff had been around. Um, like you can, I think it's back into like what, the 1700s where you find yeah, stories, mentions of that? Yeah, I know it's several hundred years old. I don't know how much of it is based on a real ship. I feel mm-hmm. like there was some disappearing ship which, you know, supported it, but I don't know much about it. But it's been – I remember as a kid seeing them come up in cartoons. There's an mm-hmm. Uncle Scrooge story Carl Barks did involving the Flying Dutchman. Of course, there it's about finding gold because that's what they do in Uncle Scrooge <laughs> stories. But, so it's been around not just hundreds of years, but even in my lifetime, I feel like as a kid it used to pop up and stuff all the time. And I always love when they pick – in a comic story, you know, Loch Ness Monster, or Bigfoot, or Ghost Legend, like this one, stuff that you, it's been around hundreds of years, they use it for, for something in a modern comic book. Yeah, it pops up, like you said, in pop culture, Flying Dutchman, but yeah, I think, seven, or like, late 1700s, like 1790, somewhere around there was the first reference to it, which, again, that blew my mind, I thought, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, story, legend, whatever you want to call it, was, uh, was that old. I just... <laughs> I don't know. I guess I never thought about it before, but it's like, wow, that's a long time ago for something that was still being used. And like I said, till at least very recently, you can still see it in cartoons and stuff like that. Yeah. And I guess at this point, you know, the way he says it in the reveal in the story, they clearly think the audience is going to recognize it, that it must mm-hmm. have had a prominence because the story is what early to mid fifties. I don't remember the exact 51. Yeah. Oh yeah. 51. So clearly must've had a, a big enough presence that they took for granted that kids or teens reading this story would know what he was talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're spot on there. So, and I'm, I'm wondering too, maybe it's a, you know, since these guys were sailors, maybe that's something that's definitely, you know, uh, sailors talked about back in, you know, one during the world wars, you know, it's just like a kind of ghost story, you know, you're out on a ship or a submarine or whatever. You're talking about crazy stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, you're probably right. It's probably like gremlins were for pilots. Yeah. You know, at the time, it probably got a second wind during that era because so many people were out on ships or planes like the gremlins situation. Yeah, that's probably definitely right. That that contributed. Yeah, but oh, that's a good one. Like, you know, you, know, you were saying that's that's a definitely a really good, you know, 
uh, air quotes ghost story. Uh, that one is for sure. Now, the second one we're going to talk about is a it's a little different. It's <laughs> it's a little it's a little silly, but it's a little creepy too, and it's kind of funny. But uh, this one is called Nasty Little Man. It's from uh, Black Magic eighteen from nineteen fifty two, and the uh, same creative team as uh, you know we mentioned earlier, Kirby Simon, and then uh, Ben Oda as well. But, uh, yeah, this one's interesting. This one uh, starts out with three men jumping aboard a train, illegally, of course. Uh, in the boxcar, they meet a leprechaun named Paddy O'Day. <laughs> At first, he seems okay, but it doesn't take them long for the men to realize uh, how dangerous he really is. So uh, what would you think of this one? I, I got a kick out of this, mostly because, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, leprechauns my recollection was when i would see them they're always sort of playful they're mischievous but they were sort of playful and you know in some mm -hmm. way or another ended up being kind of helpful and it wasn't until the 90s like leprechaun horror movies came out that mm -hmm. i saw like them being you know psychotic or evil or torturing people so mm -hmm. it's fun to me that this story back in the early 50s already had a portrayal of one who was you know much closer to that horror version of a leprechaun than you know just a goofy friend for kids like you know, I used to see it when I was little. Yeah, to me, always the first thing I think of is Lucky Charms cereal. You know, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like goofy, funny, like their funny little commercials and stuff like that. But yeah, this guy definitely isn't lucky. So, uh, oh my gosh, what about this splash page? Wow, I, I just can't believe like that other one was good. This one's good too. Just the detail, you know, it shows uh, this leprechaun on the left, almost like an L shape. With you know the title of the story and this leprechaun on the left, and then two small panels um, showing the guys jumping on the boxcar. But oh, I, how incredible is that leprechaun by Kirby? Yeah, Ooh. giving him a whole half page like that, and kind of giving it almost a gigantic kind of vibe to it. That was a very uh, nice touch by Kirby, because you know it's way outside what you'd normally see in a panel layout in a comic, and just to, and you know he often went with a full page flash of everything. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was neat to do a half page which is about the perfect size to fit his body into. Mm -hmm. It was good. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. And again, you know, nasty little man. And then he's like gigantic compared to the panels of that are next to him with the little, you know, people in the thing there. So I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. But yeah, he's got his pipe, of course, you know, you got to have that. And um, Yeah, I thought giving him a, a that kind of scale in that shot, even though he's a little guy, it really added a sense of power to the character. It really made you see him as formidable, even if mm -hmm. you didn't quite catch the whole leprechaun thing yet or know what was quite going on. It definitely made him seem like scary, you know, not someone to be messed with. Yeah, and then the detail, like the guy's the beard, his face, you know, the pipe, and then his clothing. And again, some interesting color choices here too. You know, again, a little more on the vibrant side. Like, yeah, the guy's purple pants and a red scarf. It's, you know, it's it still looks great though. I also like the touch of the little patch that was sewed on to cover mm. up the terror hole because, you know, back then, I think because of the Great Depression, hobos were like a bigger part of popular call you know there were lots of movies and stories and lots of comics characters would come up who are hobos mm -hmm. and it kind of that those kind of little touches you used to see a lot in the art and you don't really see that pop up in comics nowadays it's not really a thing anymore so i kind of like that patch because he, he definitely has kind of a ruffled dirty sleeping in his clothes kind of look to it mm -hmm. it's very yeah, wrinkly sure. i mean kirby always kind of had a lot of wrinkles and touches of the clothes but this guy you definitely think that he's living in that train car. He's not, you know, doesn't have a house or anything. 
Yeah, and I love the names of these uh, other hobo guys that jumped onto the boxcar. Professor is one, and Beefy is <laughs> one of the other guys' names, too. So that's kind of funny. But, yeah, they kind of, you know, poke a little fun at this guy, and then he uh, kind of warns them off, like, you know, don't mess with me. And they kind of act like they're going to give him a hard time, but then uh, he takes off his hat. And underneath his hat, it looks like he has, uh, you know, not a pot of gold, but like jewels of some kind, almost like diamonds, I guess. And then uh, he kind of spills them out onto the floor and the three guys start beating the crap out of each other trying to get them. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, they pick the diamonds up and they're like, what the heck's going on now? It's not diamonds anymore. It's pieces of coal. And the guy's like, well, of course, you know, diamonds are made from coal. They're carbon. And then the one guy gets pissed off at him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy really gets pissed off. You know what head direction that's headed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's funny because it shows that guy, I think it's Beefy, that starts, it grabs him, starts choking him, and you don't see him kill, you know, the leprechaun, but all of a sudden they hear a noise as he's, you know, choking him, and there's a landslide coming down on top of the train as it's going by a mountainside, I guess, and you know, it smashes up the train pretty good and, you know, everybody gets thrown from it. Well, I should say two of the guys get thrown from it. Uh, I think it's uh, the professor and let me see what the other guy's name is here. It's because uh, that other guy gets caught pretty quick. <laughs> it is interesting. That Lanky. Professor... Lanky is the other guy's name. <laughs> the professor clearly lives up to his name, though, because. He knows he's clearly quicker on the uptake and knows what they're facing because when mm-hmm. Beefy lunges for him, he's already like, no, don't don't do that. Leave this guy alone because mm-hmm. we do not want to mess with him. And of course, he's right, because the moment he's choked, you know, the <laughs> leprechaun causes the train crash and everything. But the, but the professor is clearly picked up on the implications of what's going on to them. Yeah, he's clearly aware of, you know, some. uh bad vibes coming from this guy but yeah they get thrown from the train and lanky's like prof you okay and he's like he picks him up and he's like i didn't expect something like that to happen and the professor (laughs) professor says no we'll never be safe i tried to tell that idiot beefy and he goes (laughs) lanky says tell him what he goes about the little man that was no ordinary little man beefy murdered and then all of a sudden (laughs) how about this crazy panel where the two of them are talking, and then you hear this, ha, 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 tis a fine night for killing me, buckos. And <laughs> you see this creepy-looking face, and it doesn't look like the little man, though. So I'm nope. just wondering, did Kirby do that on purpose to make him, like, maybe this is his true face here? Because it looks very sinister. Yeah, I was wondering that, too, because it was an odd... I didn't, I was trying to figure if the guy just did that to scare them, mm-hmm. which was effective, because it looks creepy as hell, but... Or if that was the implication that that was actually his true appearance. Because he's got more of a devil face with no hair, at least very little hair. And, like, they look more like antenna, but I don't know if they were supposed Mm -hmm. to be more horns or or exactly what was going on. But there's definitely a – and it's just his little head peeking out from behind two rocks. (laughs) It's a fine night for killing. I would scare the crap out of me if I was in the woods late at night, even if I hadn't just climbed out of a train wreck. (laughs) <laughs> yeah for real because it well it scares them and the two of them take off and start running but uh our buddy lanky he gets uh grabbed pretty quick uh <laughs> and then the and then i like the the caption boxes there and it says uh you hear lanky say ah prof help and the prof's like yeah no he just runs and the caption box reads prof never saw what happened to lanky he could <laughs> only remember hearing the screams the violent thrashing in the shrubs 
and then the terrifying silence. I thought, oh, man, I love that. Great dialogue there. I also love the panels when he grabs Lanky because when he like the hand comes out and like grabs his ankle, his ankle, <laughs> excuse uh-huh. me, and Lanky just goes down and like crumbles <laughs> instantly, and then you just see these feet sticking out from behind a branch. So Lanky got taken down pretty fast by this guy, and we don't. Mm-hmm. And it does. It's one of the things that, again, like any like Jaws, it's always better to not see what's going on. The implication is always much worse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Usually your imagination can think of something way worse. And, you know, again, yeah, maybe, he, you know, it's like obviously like a supernatural creature, this leprechaun. So maybe he's got some, you know, strength we don't <laughs> we didn't know about there. But, you know, and then the professor, he, you know, runs and runs and runs till he can't take it anymore. And he just uh, falls over and then he wakes up at a home and there's a an elderly woman there and she's taking care of him. And he starts kind of getting excited and getting upset, you know, because she he thinks, you know, the leprechaun's coming to get him still and she calls the doctor and the doctor comes and checks him out and he's like you're gonna be all right calm down buddy and at this point i didn't realize i didn't see anywhere in the dialogue where it let you know what happened you know what the doctor had to do to you know save the professor's life i don't know how or why they explain this but um you know eventually the doctor and uh, the old woman that's uh, taking care of him leave the room and then in the window here's our buddy the leprechaun and <laughs> the professor tries to get away and then i was shocked to see that uh, he can't get away because uh the doctor had to uh, uh amputate his legs <laughs> so the professor has no way of getting away now he's 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 done there was a little hint because when he got worked up on the prior page there was a little line in the in the, the narrator box saying that when he tried to force himself erect, there was a strange feeling of numbness and throbbing pain. So it doesn't say his leg. So I didn't quite necessarily get that it was going to be a leg thing. Mm-hmm. But you did get this. I, I did get the sense that something's wrong. He's, you know, he's in bad shape. I just didn't quite know what it was at that point. He also, yeah. made, there was another reference in another box about a dull pain inside of him, which actually that one kind of threw me off because that made me think more there was something internal going on versus his his legs being cut off but you know i actually felt kind of bad for the professor because i got the sense that three of them were not good dudes but he did try to stop beefy from going after the leprechaun he did like he wasn't like helping to choke the guy he did actually try so i'm wondering how much of this was kind of him just paying for prior crimes or other bad things he did in his life versus the leprechaun getting revenge on him you know yeah yeah, I was thinking maybe he had like, you know, a heart attack or something like that. That was maybe why he was, you know, resting in the bed and the doctor, you know, had to perform some kind of surgery on him or something like that. I was not thinking it was going to be his legs. And then like, well, it makes sense, though. He's not getting away from the leprechaun then, obviously. So, yeah, wow, that was wild. I like the images of him falling out of the bed and crumbling because he just, Kirby really did a good job of making him just kind of look I feel like it's hard, but just pathetic because he Mm -hmm. just he's got that look of surprise in his face when he tumbles out the bed. And Mm -hmm. then he's just basically struggling to crawl across the floor while his brain is processing what actually happened to him at the same time. And then he just has that that second to last panel in the story. He just has that look of sheer terror on his face as he looks down and I assume is staring at his stumps at that point. Yeah, it's crazy. And then, you know, we get the. (laughs) <laughs> the leprechaun starts talking crazy and he gets right up in the guy's face and has his hands like he's getting ready to throttle him or do something awful to him. And then, of course, the end. And like you said earlier, it's 
you know something bad's about to go down, but you know they don't put it on the page. But you can only imagine how bad it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst implications of me was when he said, "Just think of the good doctor's bugging eyes when he returns and finds something else in place of his living patient." And I'm like, to me, that doesn't just mean he's going to like choke him to death or just you know kill him with a touch or something. He's he's about to do something really nasty to this guy that's going to leave behind a fairly gruesome scene for the doctor to come back and see so that 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 was a little more than just he's about to kill him that was he's about to just torture this guy yeah well i forgot to mention too he does uh the leprechaun does mention uh what he did to lanky so when the doctor goes running out for this emergency uh the leprechaun says you can be sure that patio day is about where there's a bit of buzz in town and he said there's telling of a scarecrow that frightened the farmers instead of the crows and why not? The scarecrow is me very own prank. I made him myself out of your friend Lanky. So he, he stuffed Lanky like a scarecrow and shoved him out in a field. So it's like, oh, God. <laughs> I forgot all about that part. God knows yeah, that, what he's about to do to poor professor. Yeah, the professor is going <laughs> to. Yeah, hopefully it's it's quick. That's <laughs> all I know, man, because that's, that's bad. But yeah, two really cool stories. But yeah, this, like I said, you know. You were able to find these online, I think, weren't you? Yeah, I, there's, you know, there's a couple of public domain websites out there for comics. And this one I read this off is comicbookplus.com. They have all the Black Magic issues. If you mm. go there and uh, look it up, they have all of them by cover. You go down and click on it and go through the issue. And, you know, like I said, the covers to the Black Magic series. And even this issue, I love the cover to this issue. It's mm-hmm. It's got a lot of pink in it, but it's a diver under the ocean. Mm-hmm. And they they cut in well two divers, and they stumble upon this undersea creature that just has this fantastic look. I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of oh, how would you even? Yeah, is it like um, an armadillo or lobster thing. I don't know for sure, but it's it's wonderful, just grotesque as can be. Yeah, but it's... so much of the cavern rocks are pink. And there's a lot of yellow. That's another one where the color choices are kind of bizarre, but they mm-hmm. really work to add kind of a horror to this cover. Yeah, they do. It looks really cool. I mean, and honestly, the way I discovered Black Magic was, I think in the 70s, uh, DC reprinted some of them. Um, yes. Because, yeah, I know I have maybe two or three of those issues, and they're really cool. And that's how I discovered it. And I just thought it was new material. And then I looked at the artwork, and I thought, this doesn't look like newer material. And then, oh, you know, you look in the like, issue or whatever it says about it being, you know, a reprint from the 50s. And I'm like, whoa, I got to check these out. I'm like, well, where the heck can you get them? And just by luck, you know, happenstance, I happened to see uh, that there was a hardcover and it has, you know, all the black magic. And then uh, it has the other one too, where it's, uh, oh, what the heck is the name of it here? Let me page through it. Look, it's, um, oh, um, the strange world of your dreams, which was really cool too. They're in this one as well. It's interesting. You said you thought they were new in the seventies, because if you look at this, it's 51, but Kirby's art has already evolved to pretty much what it would be when he was doing FF, you know, Mm -hmm. a decade later, it's not like, if you go back to the early forties, his style had changed pretty dramatically over that decade. But Mm -hmm. here by 51, I mean, you know, 
beefy. I mean, the professor could be Ben Grimm with a mustache. You know, it just yeah, same drawn style. Or one of the challengers in the unknown line of bed. It's got that same look to it. So I could totally see a lot of people in the seventies picking it up, particularly when Kirby was you know working on other titles and thinking they were brand new stories. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, gosh. If, so if you want to read these, they're available online for free. If you want to read them digitally, and then the last time I did look on Amazon, there were still a few copies left of the hardcover, um, which is fifty bucks, but it's you know over three hundred pages of material. So to me, that's a that's a steal for three hundred over three hundred pages of Simon and Kirby <laughs> horror stories. That's a steal for fifty bucks. Now, this is part of that same they, where they did like the Simon and Kirby superheroes and mm-hmm. they had a whole bunch of collections that were kind of the same format. This is one of those. Titan. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Titan yeah. put them out. Yeah. They did a sci fi one, a crime one. A lot of the other ones are out of print now. Um, so you're going to you're going to pay a good chunk of money for them. But I think, like I said, it was maybe about a month or so ago uh, before we're doing the recording here. So it would be in September, August, September, somewhere in there. Uh, there there were still a couple available of the horror one here and yeah they have uh science fiction superheroes crime fighting american which i have that in soft cover um so yeah definitely yeah if you can get your hands on any of these you know at a decent price i would definitely do it because it's titan did a really good job with these they're just they're incredible like the binding in them is great the dust jacket is great the hardcover itself is really really nice cool yeah so, okay, so let's transition into something else here. So now you, speaking of Joe Simon, you had a really uh, good opportunity. Was it earlier this year to do an interview? Uh, do you want to talk about that? Um, it was actually, I think, late last year. Mm, I okay. had um, Joe Simon's granddaughter, Megan Margulies, wrote a memoir about her relationship with Joe Simon. And she was mm-hmm. very kind enough to come on my podcast and talk to me for a little bit about it. And she was wonderful to chat with and i ended up getting the book and it was um great to read it's it's like i said it's a memoir it's not a biography so Mm -hmm. you don't go in expecting to learn you know a lot about joe simon's career and you know sort of a layout of his whole life it's much more a memoir of their relationship but it is great to just learn about joe simon's personality what it'd be like to grow up around this guy you know and his art and his creations and what kind of a granddad he was so i would definitely recommend the book um, it's called Captain America or it's called, excuse me, it's called my Captain America. And also if you want to, anyone was interested in our talk, it was a shorter episode. It's only like 15 or 20 minutes. We just couldn't talk too long, but it was a delightful discussion. I really enjoyed talking to her. It's just, you know, it's kind of had that connection now to talk to Joe Simon's granddaughter. That's just, mm. yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's awesome. I mean, <laughs> like you said, just to talk to any of these uh, family members, uh, of creators that have passed on and then you know the the creators we still have around it's just it's such a joy especially you know the older ones that you know they grew up in a different time and some of them were at the at the beginning of you know basically the creation of comic books and so when you get to talk to somebody that was you know a granddaughter of joe simon that's just incredible I and mean, that's awesome yeah. and that's on your comics in the golden age podcast right yeah, yeah, it's it's on the feed. It's easy to find because it's you know I mentioned the title, her in the title, so it shouldn't be difficult to locate. I can't remember the episode number, but it's not too far back. No, like you said, I think yeah, you're right. I think it was was it November or December of last year, so November December 2020 somewhere in there. Yeah, is definitely was, where that one popped up. It was great, especially because Joe Simon, you know, he's in the top ten as far as guys who you know help build the industry. You know, he and 
Kirby, you know, no side created Captain America, you know, created mm-hmm. romance genre, helped to create crime comics. It's just it so many things they did. And, you know, to be able to have that connection to him now, I was so happy to talk to her. Yeah, like you said, I mean, some of these genres, the romance genre, you know, I mean, some of these genres that we just, you know, take for granted today, they wouldn't <laughs> be around or they wouldn't be what they are for sure without uh, Kirby and especially, you know, Simon and Kirby back then. Great yeah. stuff. Okay, so uh, any final thoughts on these, uh, Mike? No, I just want to thank you for inviting me on to talk about it. I haven't gotten the chance to discuss these on a podcast before, so it was a lot of fun, and I appreciate it, Billy. Well, we'll have to do it again. Hey, maybe we'll uh, bust out some more of these stories or you know, jump back to EC or one of my favorite things I have, too, from uh, uh, the Golden Age's uh, Sandman uh, hardcover I have of uh, Kirby. Uh, oh love that too i know you've talked about that briefly i think you did an episode on uh was it your comics in the golden age too, yes, or was that yes. kirby cast okay it was um, yeah well i did do a christmas story i think on the kirby cast okay there, but i did um a more in-depth kind of same discussion on the uh golden age podcast yeah oh i love those stories those are absolutely insane <laughs> those stories in that hardcover are they're good but they're crazy they're just like sometimes you read them you're like what in the world but they're fun i really enjoy those so you never know maybe we can talk about them or hey maybe something from the 70s too like i've just about completed my run on the, the demon i think i need two issues yet so yeah uh, i was so happy that's when i got the full run a few years ago and i was so happy to really i, I had went through a period of about throughout my late 20s to mid 30s where i was just purposely trying to get every bronze age like kirby book you know all of them the demon the fourth world you know Mm -hmm. machine man 2001 omac all those titles and it was a lot of fun to go back and track them all down yeah i probably have about half of commandy that's another one i really enjoy quite a bit too i still need a few of those though commandy is actually the only one i'm still trying to finish I still mm. need quite a because I had the um, hardcovers mm-hmm. reprinting Commandy, so I didn't feel the urge to go back and get them like I did some of the others. So yeah. as a result, now he ended up being the only one I still need to actually go back and track down some issues. Yeah, that one's fun. Those early ones, especially like the first 20 or so. Oh, man, they're a blast. <laughs> I love that oh, one. It's well, just it's like oh. Planet of the Apes dialed up to 11, you know, it's not just, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking apes and, apes and animals. And, yep. <laughs> yeah, every creature you can imagine under the sun is up and running around and talking and you know ch- trying to kill humans. It's it really mm. is just a, a nutty version of playing the apes, and I love. Yeah, it. it really is. Yeah, Kirby, man, his imagination again, something to uh, behold. But uh, all right, Mike. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I'll have everything in the show notes with your podcast. And then uh, if anybody wants to follow you, you're on Twitter, correct? Yes, at Comics in the GA. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you, me, and uh, you know some other guys on there, Doug, Jeff, and then, uh, of course, Karen. We have a good time on Twitter, so if you see any of us uh, on there, just join in the conversation because we have a blast. It might get a little crazy, and like we say, <laughs> apes, apes, and you know, comics and movies, <laughs> all sorts More of wild stuff. And... <laughs> but, yeah, we, we have a good time on there. We have a, a really good community on there. It's great. You know, There's a lot of good comic book people on there that comics movies whatever we have a good time on there yeah. yeah i was i'm glad i got to meet you and the other guys and get to know you on there it's been a lot it's been a really good experience yeah we have fun we have a blast on there so 
All right. Well, again, thanks, Mike. Uh, appreciate you coming on, and, and I'll be back in a minute to wrap things up. It was 1938. The country continues its slow recovery from the Great Depression, while war clouds loom throughout Asia and German aggression builds in Europe. Americans seek comfort and distraction. It was a time when the most popular form of entertainment was radio, but a new form had been growing steadily and was set to explode. It was to become the golden age of the American comic book. My name is Chris. And my name is Mike. Please join us as we explore comics in the Golden Age between 1938 and 1955. All genres will be discussed, from superheroes to crime, horror, science fiction, humor, and western. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher, and visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. up this episode once again i want to thank mike for coming on great guest and great guy you know uh, definitely give him a follow on twitter if you're not already following him uh, at comics in the ga and uh, definitely take a listen to his podcast comics in the golden age and the kirby cast as well uh, so next up uh, is going to be another uh, movie discussion with me herman and uh, another special guest so get ready for that one because it was a lot of fun we had a blast and it's a really creepy crazy movie so definitely tune in for that and the rest of october as well for some more halloween fun take care everybody